This is Ian Hartley. And I'm Warren Kay. Welcome to the Rediscovering God podcast. We invite you to join us as we endeavor to see him more clearly, love him more dearly, and follow him more nearly. Hello, Warren. Ian, good to be with you. Today we're talking about uh, Jesus apparently cursing a fig tree. Yes, you say apparently. Yeah. You're we'll going to unpack in, that. We'll, we'll get into that. Okay. Okay, so this part, podcast is part of a sequence of the possible use of violence by Jesus. Yes. You know, as soon as you suggest that uh, Jesus was nonviolent, people quickly think about the temple cleansing, and then those who have read their Bibles think about this uh, so-called cursing of the fig tree. Yes. Uh, and then we have the denunciation of the religious leaders by Jesus in Matthew 24. Those are the only three examples of the possible use of violence by Jesus that the best critic of a nonviolent God can come up with. So we've dealt with the temple cleansing, and now we're talking about the apparent uh, cursing of the fig tree. Well, some of his parables hint at a pretty violent end as well. Uh, yeah, but not himself. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay, so Jesus had come to Jerusalem for the last time, hoping that Jewish leaders would accept the salvation he had communicated through his teachings, his miracles, and his compassion for people. He finds the temple being used again as a place of commercial exploitation, even though he had cleansed it of this trafficking three years earlier. So it really hadn't changed? No. Hmm. He had hoped his influence, including the temple cleansing at the beginning of his ministry, would have given the leaders an understanding of the character of God. If they had responded, he could have explained the significance of the sacrifices, but it was not to be. The leaders were caught up in their own agendas of wealth and political position and national greatness. And the fruit of the Spirit was absent from their lives, and in the barren fig tree, Jesus sees a reflection of the situation, and he uses it as an acted parable to illustrate the consequences of rejecting God's Messiah. So you're suggesting that this isn't a literal thing. He's, he's acting out a parable that is talking about the people. Well, the, the fig tree literally withered. Yes. But it's parabolic. Right. It's, it's actually about something else. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So why don't you read the, the biblical passages? Okay. Matthew 21, starting at verse 18. Early in the morning, as he was on his way back to the city, he was hungry. Seeing a fig tree by the road, he went up to it, but found nothing on it except leaves. Then he said to it, may you never bear fruit again. Immediately the tree withered. When the disciples saw this, they were amazed. How did the fig tree wither so quickly, they asked. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. If you had faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what was done to this fig tree, but you can also say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. So just... Let's talk about the second half of that passage. Yes. This thing about throwing the mountain into the sea. Right. Okay, so the great mountain 
that Jesus was up against was the doubt of the religious leaders and even the doubt of the disciples. You know, your, your doubt only becomes apparent under crisis mm. situations. Uh, when uh, Jesus says to Peter, Satan wants to sift you as wheat, he's talking about that. Okay. Throw you into a crisis and show how fallible you really are. Mm -hmm. Okay, so the disciples had no idea how much doubt they had in their minds. Right. Even though they had been casting out demons and healing the sick and so on in the ministry when Jesus sent them out. So what Jesus is saying is if you uh, believe and in faith say to your mountain of doubt, be gone, it will happen. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's very helpful because yeah. it seems unlikely he's referring to a, a literal mountain. Yeah. We don't because, want to put Caterpillar and Komatsu out of business. Well, you know, <laughs> Jesus certainly had the faith. He could have thrown, you know, if, if he's talking literal, but he's talking about their, yeah. their own experience. Well, he never literally throws a mountain no. into the sea. No. no. Yeah. So Mark 12, 11, verse 12 is the next telling of the story. The next day, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry. Seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves, because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, May, you, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard, it, heard him say it. And then it comes back to that story in verse 20. In the morning, as they went along, he saw the fig tree withered from the roots that he had made that statement to the day before. Yeah. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. So again, we have this uh, um, connection that Jesus makes with this withered fig tree and immediately thinks about doubt. Mm-hmm. There's a connection in his head, you know. The religious leaders who he uses the fig tree to represent mm -hmm. doubt that he's the Messiah. Right. They doubt he's really God. Mm -hmm. Now, if he'd started throwing the Romans out, they would have had no doubts. They'd have believed. They'd have believed right away. They would have been in a hurry to believe yeah. because he was doing what they wanted. Mm-hmm. They'd I don't know if you got that. They'd have grabbed their swords and lined up <laughs> to follow him. Yeah. Yeah. So have you ever grown a fig tree? No, I haven't. Have you ever seen a fig tree? Yes, yes. Say yes. Well. <laughs> because we've been to Israel together. Oh, yeah. In tree. Israel. I'm thinking here. But yeah, in Israel. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there yeah. were fig trees. Yeah. Oh, those were olive trees. Those were olive trees. But, but they were fig trees. They were fig trees too. there. So a fig tree is deciduous, it loses its leaves in winter, mm -hmm. okay, like the poplars, the aspens, and the sod. Yeah. When it produces leaves in spring, 
it advertises that it has its first crop of figs too. Oh. Sometimes you even have figs before leaves. Okay. So when Jesus sees a tree with leaves, he has every right to believe that there are figs there. Right. And he's hungry. Hmm. The other fig trees, it doesn't seem, had leaves. So they were not claiming to have fruit. Mm-hmm. It was the tree that claimed to have fruit which drew Jesus' attention. So are you with me? Yeah, yeah. The Jews claimed they, they had... were the people of God. They had this magnificent temple yeah. and all these rites and traditions. And he comes to them looking for the fruit yeah. of the Spirit, and they are barren. Yes. Jesus was reminded of another tree which had leaves. You want to read that in Jeremiah 8, verse 13? Um, Trees are often used to symbolize leaders in the Bible. While you're looking that up, in Daniel 4.22, the great tree represents King Nebuchadnezzar. In Psalm 1, verse 3, the trees represent godly leaders. So Jesus is justified in viewing this fig tree as a symbol of his people Israel, who claim to represent God. Jeremiah 8.13. I will surely consume them. There will be no more harvest of figs and grapes. Their fruit trees will all die. Whatever I give them will soon be gone. I am the Lord. I, the Lord, have spoken. Yeah. So uh, he uses these trees to represent the nation of Israel. Mm-hmm. Uh, Why don't you continue reading in Mark chapter 13? Verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what a magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? Jesus replied. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. The magnificent temple corresponds to the leaves of the fig tree advertising figs. One would expect to have the fruit of worshiping God from those who worshiped in this temple. One would not expect the fruits of those who did not know the God of this temple. Jesus came to this beautiful temple to find the fruit of the Spirit. What he found was resistance, rejection, and rebellion. So he prophesies that the temple will come to an end from the roots. Um, that may not sound significant that it comes to an end from the roots because they're looking at these magnificent stones that are at the bottom of the temple. Mm-hmm. Okay, the temple rises above them. If you go to the western wall today, we're not sure those stones are the stones Jesus was referring to, but because Jerusalem's been rebuilt so many times, but mm-hmm. they are massive stones. Yes. Yes. So how can we be sure this is what was on Jesus' mind in this enacted parable of the future of the temple? When Jesus calls his disciples to have faith in God, he is thinking of the religious leaders who have no faith in God. Their religion has become a round of human traditions and rituals to earn salvation. They had all the leaves, the pretense of having the Spirit, But the fruit of the Spirit, or the natural consequence of welcoming the Spirit into the heart, was missing. So we'll just review here. In Galatians 5.22, 
Paul says the fruit of the Spirit, notice singular, uh, gifts is plural, but the fruit of the Spirit uh, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why I make a point of the singular form is that every Christian is expected to have all uh, these fruit. Yeah, it's not some of them and some are left out. Yeah. If you have the fruit of the Spirit, you'll demonstrate all of these characteristics. Yeah, and, but when it comes to gifts, mm-hmm. uh, not every Christian has all the gifts. Right. Yeah. So uh, their failure to believe in Messiah was the mountain that stood in the way of their salvation and their acceptance of Messiah. Jesus knew that if only they would have faith in God, this mountain would be removed. They would be forgiven of their sin of unbelief, and the Messianic age would be ushered in. So let's look at this um, idea that Jesus curses. Yeah. Uh, Because Jesus made it clear. He said, let your no be no. Yeah. Um, and, And told us not to curse, not to... Swear by the gold in yeah, the temple. Yeah, right. So, so it's interesting that Jesus didn't curse the tree in the same way that he never cursed the temple. What he did was to foretell the future of both the fig tree and the temple. It was Peter who decided Jesus had cursed the tree. Cursing is very popular with sinners. <laughs> and because they're under the curse of sin, they're apt to curse others. Peter decided the tree had died because of what Jesus had said. The truth was that the tree was already dying. That's why it had no fruit. Jesus' words did not determine the future. They predicted the future. So that's quite different, isn't it? It is. Um, So Jesus looks at this tree. It's got leaves but no fruit. He knows there's something wrong with this tree. Mm -hmm. And he says... You'll never eat fruit from this tree again. Mm-hmm. As a statement of fact. Yeah. Not a curse. No. Interesting. So uh, the problem uh, why it's so easily accepted that Jesus cursed the fig tree was there's a lot of cursing in the Old Testament. Mm, true. You know, you have the blessings and the curses, blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. Now, interestingly enough, I don't think you ever use that word these days. Do you? Do you? The curse? Yeah. No. 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 So we use another word. We use the word consequence. Yes. Which has a very different connotation Mm -hmm. to it. Um, So here's uh, one of my favorite saying. uh, Prediction is not causation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which means that because you foretell... The future doesn't mean you cause it. Warren, you'll be dead in 50 years, you know? True enough. Now, I'm not going to kill you. True. You'll die for other reasons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe Dairy Queen is to die for. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> yes. So you don't die because I said you'll die, but because we all do. Mm-hmm. It is not the curse of sin, but the consequence of sin. So the temple which Jesus visited was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, not because Jesus said it would be, but because the people of the temple did not receive the one who could have preserved the temple forever. 
I mean, literally, if Jesus had been accepted as Messiah mm -hmm. and become the, the God of Israel and the theocratic ruler, there would have been a second Solomic era, uh, time period. You know, under Solomon, Israel become the wonder of the world. Yes. And all sorts of dignitaries are visiting to find out how this small group of people could prosper so greatly. And under Jesus, that could have happened again. Yes. And that's what the Jews were expecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you read carefully the Old Testament, that's what it is expecting. And then they rejected him, and that, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, what I want to do now is I want us to look at the parables which uh, refer to the end of sinners. Yeah. Uh, because it's very interesting just to look at these, at their end points. Um, so why don't you do the first one? So the parable of the weeds is found in Matthew 13, uh, 24 to 30, and then 36 to 43. But I'm just going to pick up the last few verses starting at 41. Yeah. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs> okay, so... It's interesting that they can weep and gnash their teeth in a fiery furnace. I don't think you last too long in a fiery furnace. So um, it's kind of interesting metaphors that Jesus is using. Now, this is a parable. Um, Jesus is using a common story uh, in his day mm -hmm. uh, to illustrate a point he wants to make. So we need to say this about parables. Parables, like jokes, have a punchline. Yeah. And if I say to you an Englishman, Irishman, a Scot, we're sitting down to have dinner, what do you know I'm telling you? I know you're going to tell me a story that is a joke. <laughs> yes, and somewhere along the line, you, you're listening for the punchline. Yeah. And bad joke tellers get the punchline messed up. <laughs> or they forget what it is. Yeah. Good yeah. joke tellers... That uh, punchline is emblazoned in their mind. They know they can mess everything up, but not the punchline. Yeah. Okay, so we, we're talking about this parable. Uh, so what, what is clear from the parable is that uh, sinners come to a horrible end. Yeah. That's the point. Yeah. Um, uh, if you... If you want to prove that Jesus is violent, then you can misuse this parable to say, well, Jesus is actually going to throw sinners into a fiery furnace uh, and they will weep and gnash their teeth there. And that would make sense if all the parables he told had the same ending. Yes. But yeah. we'll discover that that's not the case. No, it isn't at all. So the parable of the unmerciful servant found in Matthew 18, 23 to 35 Verse 34 says, In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured uh -huh. until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So well, he, he got off easy. He, he didn't go into a fiery furnace. He just got tortured in jail. Uh, 
I might choose the fiery furnace. <laughs> well. <laughs> but notice uh, uh, Jesus says, this is how my heavenly Father mm -hmm. will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So he actually blames God for this torturing, right. uh, unforgiving sinners. Yeah. So that's another uh, ending. Um, based on right. this passage, um, the Father is apparently going to torture those who do not forgive others. So if you think about this for a minute, if this ending is literal, who are the jailers? Who's doing the torturing? Uh, could it be uh, evil angels? Could it be the devil? Could it be some of the saved? Mm. You've got that uh, problem of agency. It really becomes complicated. Yes. Okay. Now let's look at another one. So the wicked tenants uh, parable, Matthew 21, 33 to 44. After Jesus told the parable, which ends with the son being killed by the wicked tenants, he asked the listeners to speculate on what should happen to these tenants. And here is their answer. He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied. And he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. So this is an interesting answer because it reflects their understanding of what eventually happens to sinners, unmerciful servants and wicked tenants. They will come to a wretched end. From the parables we have considered so far, a wretched end is confusing, but it is certain. Yeah. So we now have a fiery furnace. We have uh, torture for a long time. And uh, now we have, it's not specified, but these wretches are going to come to a wretched end. Yeah. I like that play on words. <laughs> so another issue which needs to be addressed is the use and meaning of parables. Well, we've talked about that a little bit, but I, I do want to mention that the word parable has the same root as parabola. Um, you probably don't remember parabolas from your mathematic days in high school. Actually, I skipped mathematics, so you I didn't did. learn about those. Yeah, that's, that's sad for me. Well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I should have had a good teacher like you. <laughs> so uh, a parable is sort of a U-shaped graph okay. that focuses all the light rays that come in uh, on one focal point, like a, a searchlight mm. or a spotlight. Mm -hmm. Okay, so parabola, parabolic mirror, same thing. Okay. Uh, and then a parable focuses your attention on one particular point. So even the name itself yeah. uh, indicates that. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Mm. The advantage of taking mathematics. Yes. Yes. These are stories which have one main point to make. They have a punchline, like a good joke. We've talked about that. Now, um, there's another kind of story in which uh, all the different pieces have meanings. We mm -hmm. call that an allegory. Okay. Where, um, like, um, what's that famous one written by John Bunyan? Oh, John Bunyan, Paradise Lost. Uh, no, that's Oh, that's, jo that's Milton. Uh, John Bunyan was... Uh, it's this journey that Christian takes. Yes, right, sorry, that is... Um, Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress, yeah. yes. So that's an allegory. Mm -hmm. All the different bits and pieces in the story have meanings. Right. 
but parables are not allegories. Mm. And sometimes people think a parable is an allegory. Yeah, to try to get define what each thing is. Yes, like mm. this, uh, there was a very uh, well-known story in Jesus' day about the rich man, Lazarus, and they could talk to each other a great after they died across this great gulf uh, mm. and so on. And if you try and turn that into an allegory, you end up with all sorts of interesting observations. Yeah. The point of this parable was that uh, I'm talking about the rich man and Lazarus, that if the listeners did not have faith, they would not even believe the words of a resurrected prophet because uh, Lazarus says, well, uh, send Moses or mm. send Abraham or send mm -hmm. somebody to tell them. And, yeah. and Jesus laconically says, well, if they don't believe uh, Moses resurrected from the dead, they won't believe anything. And he's going to be resurrected from the dead. Mm -hmm. And they still won't believe. Yeah. And that was the point of... Well, and even... even uh, it's interesting that the character in the story is named Lazarus. Yes. And Lazarus is the one that Jesus rose from the dead... Yeah. And they still didn't believe that's when they plotted to kill the both of them. Yes, that's good. Good insight there. All right, one more. The wedding banquet. Matthew 22, 1 to 14, but picking it up at verse 11 to the end. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friend, he asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Right, now, I'm sure you got that. Now, we did have a fiery furnace where mm -hmm. there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now we have darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yes. Like, it's inescapable that these descriptions of the end uh, are irrelevant. All we can be sure of is there's going to be a horrible end. They're not to be taken literally, no. that's for sure. So uh, we also have a, a parable of the wicked servant in Matthew 24. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and an hour is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So <laughs> this is the third uh, end that's associated with weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm -hmm. You can be thrown into a fiery furnace uh, in this one, uh, you, or you can be thrown into the darkness and in this one, you're cut in pieces, but you can still weep and gnash your teeth. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Then the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, and we're picking it up at verse 24. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. So here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I had not sown, gather where I had not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers 
so that when I returned I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So at least we have some consistency now, twice there, the wicked. In darkness. Are thrown into darkness where mm -hmm. there's uh, mm -hmm. weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we're in Matthew 25, and we're talking about the sheep and the goats. Uh, this story parable is told in verse 31 to 46. In verse 41, it says this, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So according to the, this passage, the fate of sinners is parallel to the fate of the devil, a fate never intended for men and women. What the fate of the devil is will be considered at a later stage. But while all these parables make their point, none of them are intended to focus on the end of sinners. The fate of sinners is incidental to the parables, except to emphasize that there's a horrible end for them. But one verse in particular bears a closer scrutiny. It comes from the parable of the wedding banquet. So that's in Matthew 22 and verse 5. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Okay, so the king in this case is God um, in the parable. And then it says here, the king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murmur murderers and burned their city. So what does that sentence mean? Certainly it does not mean that Jesus was so angry with his people that he destroyed them and burned their city as happened in 70 AD. All these consequences happened, but not at the hand of the Savior or his father who wept over their stubborn resistance. In 70 AD, the Roman armies came to deal with the rebellious city. It was the Romans who burned the city and destroyed its inhabitants. Shall we say that Caesar's armies metonomically uh, stand in for God's armies referred to in the parable? Hardly. Again, in this parable, Jesus was predicting the fate of his city in language that was in vogue at the time. You know, insurance language often refers to tornadoes and earthquakes as an act of God. Now, I don't know of anybody who believes that tornadoes and earthquakes are acts of God, uh, at least in North America. Um, do you? Well, I've heard of people that say, you know, God sent those uh, hurricanes because of the uh, evilness of Yes, I think uh, so. Katrina and uh, yeah. New Orleans, yes. Yeah. Wicked cities are God's punishing it. Yeah, except it seemed that the churches got destroyed along with everything else. Yeah, yeah. So um, where do you think uh, tornadoes and uh, earthquakes come from? Well, it, they cause destruction. Jesus said... It's the enemy that brings destruction. 
You know, we can be sure that the devil has this power because of what happened in Job. Mm-hmm. You know, God says to Shatan, okay, go ahead, but don't, don't take his life. And mm-hmm. he has all these earthquakes and tornadoes and and lightning which kill his children and his cattle and so on. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So when your insurance policy uh, comes to you, do you take your pen and edit out acts of God and send it back and say this language is unacceptable? No, I don't. You don't? No. And this is because you're lazy, you don't care? Well, it's it's become a term that just people accept without really believing it literally. Yeah. yeah. It's just part of our vocabulary. Yeah. So the end of sinners is described by these parables. It's really very contradictory. Here's a summary of their fate. A fiery furnace, torture by jailers, a wretched end. They're cut into pieces, then thrown into the darkness, burned in eternal fire and destroyed by an army. And there's also lots of weeping and gnashing of teeth with several of those. Yes. You heard about the preacher who was preaching and there were a lot of seniors in the back row that had false teeth and some of them didn't have teeth. And they were laughing and enjoying uh, his proclamation that there'd be weeping of gnashing of teeth. So he added to his sermon, and those that don't have teeth will be supplied. (laughs) (laughs) Just to make the point. You know, what we can be sure of from these parables is that there is destruction for sinners at the end. Um, We can be sure of this. How this will happen, we cannot determine from the parables. Parables, we must remember, are not reliable in determining details. Parables communicate one point, and the details are often taken from current folklore. They teach by calling on the concrete to communicate the unexpected or the abstract. In these parables, Jesus is not trying to communicate exactly what happens to sinners, but that their end is certain. To find out how they come to the end, we could read Revelation 6, 15 to 18, or Revelation 20, verse 9. So let, let's read Revelation 6, 15 to 18, because this is uh, 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 an end that's not often talked about. It's right. actually mass suicide. It makes me think of Jim Jones or somebody like that, mm-hmm. you know, David Koresh. So Revelation 6, 15 to 18 says, Then everyone, the kings of the earth, the rulers, the generals, the wealthy, the powerful, and every slave and free person, all hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they cried out to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of the one who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to survive? So there's a, a description that includes everybody on the planet. Yeah. You know, and these people are all wishing that the rocks and the mountains would fall on them. Mm-hmm. In other words, that they would be dead Yeah. rather than see the lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the irony of the situation. Who's afraid of a lamb? Well, except in the last podcast, we talked about 
Jesus' moral authority that caused the leaders to, to leave, or the sellers to leave the temple. And so this lamb carries amazing moral authority yeah. that creates this angst within their heart that they, they want to, they'd rather die than be yeah. in his presence. But it's not because of his violence or his force. It's like my mom saying, you wait till daddy gets home. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want to see daddy. Daddy carries a bigger stick. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what shall we say about this uh, cursing of the fig tree? One, Jesus never cursed anybody. You know, cursing is a consequence of insecurity in your life and a lack of being heard. So you try and reinforce it with profanity or calling down like on my mother's grave or some other thing like that, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. um, so Jesus was not that kind of person. Um, Peter interpreted uh, the prediction that Jesus made that the, the fig tree would never produce fruit again. He sees that as a curse and that it's actually going to happen mm -hmm. because Jesus said so. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about that quite a bit. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in the scroll of Isaiah, Isaiah actually writes that the Messiah would never resort to violence. So in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 9, it says this, He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yeah. Amazing. That that was predicted of him years before he came. Yeah. Maybe between six and eight hundred years before yeah. he came. Yeah. There are really many passages in the New Testament which refer to gentleness as a primary characteristic of Jesus, his followers, and as a gift of the Spirit. Um, Matthew eleven twenty nine and 21, verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 1, Galatians 5, 23, the fruits of the Spirit, Ephesians 4, verse 2, Philippians 4, verse 5, Colossians 3, verse 12, 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, and 6, verse 11, 1 Peter 3, 4, and 15. So that's a whole lot of verses. That's a lot it? of verses. Yeah. So these references indicate that the writers understood the gentleness of their Lord and Master. We can too. And we must espouse the gentleness of Jesus. There is no place for curses and threats and violence in God's kingdom. So when Jesus says, let your yes be yes and your no be no, he is talking about the simple communication uh, that is based on love and compassion with people uh, and not this, these, this harshness and this violence that comes from threats and profanities and so on. What do you think? It's really very evident when you look carefully uh, at these stories, particularly the parables. I find it fascinating when you compare each one like that and you realize it's making a point. And what we've often thought is not the point that they're making. Mm -hmm. They're going to be destroyed. Yeah. And as you've 
uh, suggested in the future we'll look more carefully at how that happens, yeah. uh, how that takes place. So that's the apparent cursing of the fig tree. Now you'll n understand why I say apparent. Yes. Uh, Jesus never cursed. It was Peter who decided Jesus had cursed the fig tree. Right. Good. Thank you, Ian. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to contact us, you can at Rediscovering God on Facebook or Instagram. Or send us an email to rediscoveringgod20 at gmail.com. We are encouraged to hear how this picture of God is making a difference for you. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, you can leave a review or rate the podcast so that others will become more aware of a God that is love as revealed by Jesus Christ. Thank you.